0: Papa, Daddy, Father, Abba, we come before you this morning and we are delighted to come into your presence. We do so with great joy and glad hearts as we, we have indeed worshipped you with our whole heart, and we want to do that. We're delighted to. But now, Father in heaven, we're asking that you will anoint uh, this word, and uh, indeed, that it will be not only clear, but that it will accomplish that which you send it forth for, that it may transform lives. We declare it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, how many of you have ever heard the statement, let go and let God? Is that familiar? Yeah, well, some of you. <laughs> I've seen that on bumper stickers, I've seen it on church signs. I, I believe the phrase, let go and let God, is okay. Um, but I also believe that it gives a false sense. Of how God has put us human beings together and and how he has designed life to work. My problem with the phrase, let go and let God, is that it gives the impression that God will somehow handle everything for us. And I don't think that's either good or true. My favorite part of parenting, my favorite part of being a parent, was the first six months of life. That uh, I I just love holding a newborn baby in my arms, rocking them to sleep. That was so peaceful, so wonderful, so beautiful. And it was such a short time that it lasted. (laughs) You know, the day soon arrived that my kids just wanted to go be put to bed and uh, they'd find their own way into sleep. You know, as parents, we start out doing everything for a baby. And, uh, but the goal is to teach and train them to do all those things for themselves. I mean, after all, who here wants to burp a 16-year-old? <laughs> Our Heavenly Father has, in a sense, the same kind of design and desire for us. Now, be sure of this, okay? This is really key truth. God is way more interested in doing things through us than he is in just doing things for us. This farmer inherited a plot of ground, 10 acres, and it had always been pasture land, and everybody thought that's all it was good for. But as the farmer had it, the weeds started to take over, and finally the farmer decided to plow it up and plant corn, which he did. Uh, And the corn came up beautifully, and one day his neighbor was over, and he looked over the field of corn, and he said, wow, isn't it wonderful what God can do with a plot of land? Yeah, the farmer said, but you should have seen it when God had it to himself. (laughs) The farmer provided, you know, plowing, planting fertilizer, and that may have only been 2%, okay, of what it takes to grow a whole field of corn. But the farmer's 2%. If he didn't do it, nothing happened. God has designed both life and ministry, so they require our involvement. Our partnership to receive God's blessing will always require for us to step forward in faith and do something and take hold of the promise. I believe that the parenting process is a good model of how Jesus wants to disciple each of us. Jesus' goal for us is that we will learn and become equipped to carry out his will on planet Earth. That by his power, that is the Holy Spirit working inside of us and through us, (coughs) that, that we will be his witnesses, that we will represent him, or to put it another way, we will represent him to all we meet. Now, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 states clearly But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly how the gospel started. It started in Jerusalem, spread to Judea, onto Samaria, and eventually onto the ends of the earth when jesus left or was leaving the earth he gave the church that his disciples and us you know, you've got to see ourselves in this uh, a commission it looks like this matthew 8 18, 28 18 and jesus came to the set them and said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me if jesus has all authority what's that, how much does the devil have yeah it'd be about none yeah milch zero <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Great Commission, there are four verb forms, okay? Four verb forms. They're all stated like commandments. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach, okay? But actually, in the Greek, only one of them is the main verb. The other three are mere participles, and the purpose of the participle is to, is to enhance the action of the main verb. Okay? Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Which do you think is the main verb? No. Make disciples. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Jesus says, hey, I like the 12 turned out, and he said, I want a whole bunch more just like you. You go. <laughs> Church, the commission is for us to make disciples. That's why we promote small groups so much in the house. It's a way of discipleship. Uh, hey, you want to get involved in this mission, get involved in a small group. It'll do, enhance your life in so many ways. Now, uh, I want to show you one more verse here that's kind of important to it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. Um, Now, Jesus says to Peter, You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is building his church. And you got to ask the question how's it going? You know, he says, that, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But, you know, we hear that and we think, oh, no, the terrible gates of hell are going to come and get me. That's not true. <laughs> gates are a defensive position, warfare in the ancient world. When an enemy king invaded a country, the king of that country would take his armies, the army, equip them, and go out and meet them in the field. The battle would be in the field. Hopefully, the idea was to drive him from the borders. But if, he, if the king of that country lost, what he would do is he would retreat into his walled city, close the gates. Now, the strongest part of an ancient walled city was always the gate. It was the strongest part. That's where you had the highest defense towers. That's where you had the strongest of the soldiers. They would defend the gate at all costs because... The gate was so vulnerable. If you really understand this, okay, it's really important. You see, it is not that the gates of hell are about to get us. It's that the church, as the church, we are attacking hell. And even the strongest part of it will not stand against the onslaught of the church. I hope you're getting this. (laughs) It is so key. So key. Now, we had to ask the question, OK, Jesus is building his church. How's it going? I mean, this thing we, we preach this thing called the Gospel of the Kingdom of God." Now, is it working? How's it going? Well, let's take a look at the book of Acts, see how it went there. OK? Growth of the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says there were 120 in the upper room, okay? And then the day of Pentecost comes, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 are baptized in that one day. And so now there are 3,120. And and you get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, you know, and, and I'll read it. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard believed the message, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. Well, you take men plus the you know women plus the children, and you've got fifteen to twenty thousand the churches. By the time you get to Acts chapter four, it's growing like wildfire. When you get to Acts 17, 6, that's on Paul's second missionary journey, and we read the statement, those who have turned the world upside down are coming here also. And the church grows, and the church grows, and the church grows. Now, how's it going today? Let me show you. Okay, some of you have seen this before, okay? But I I don't get tired of showing you this, so it really is key. The church in today's world. You see, Christians, you know, more than a third of planet Earth belongs to the church. you got to get this, Okay? Jesus is building his church, and it is not losing, okay? Yeah, it's the largest religion in the world is the church, and the fastest growing in the world is the church. We're growing faster than world population, and actually that diagram was from 2010, and it's much better today even. We look around the world and we think, "Oh, terrible things are happening." And it's not that some bad things aren't happening, okay? But the truth is, the church is winning. We're winning, and, and, and we've got to get rid of this kind of losing attitude that seems to be permeate so many things. Oh, watch out! Everything's going to hell in head basket, and Jesus is going to come, and we're just—any of us going to be left? Get over it. <laughs> it's not the way it's going to go. The church is growing. It will continue to grow. And here's a simple answer, folks. Listen, get this. Probably the most important thing I'll say today. It's simply this. Okay. Look at all the religions of the world. I've studied them all. They made me. <laughs> I've studied them all, though. And you look into all the religions of the world, and none of them have an answer to the two basic problems of the human race. And the two basic problems of the human race is the problem of sin, of doing things wrong. What do I do with all of my guilt and regret and all of those things? Bernard Shaw said, any man over 40 is a scoundrel. (laughs) What do we do with the regret? What do we do with the guilt? What do we do with those things we wish we hadn't do? I, I, they accumulate. What do you do with them? And that's the power of the cross. In the power of the cross, they're gone. Taken care of. That's the first problem of the human race. What do we do with our guilt, our regret, our problems? What do we do with those? But the second one, just as important, is what do we do with the fact of death? We all die. <laughs> Hey, I got an announcement. All of you in here are going to die. <laughs> a, a man said that, or the pastor said that in the Easter service once, and a man in the front row started to laugh. He said, pastor said, oh, everybody, in this congregation's going to die. And the guy in the front row started to laugh, and it caught the pastor off guard. He said, why are you laughing, sir? He said, I'm not from this congregation. <laughs> See, the problem with the human race is we all are going to die. But the solution is very simple. Jesus Christ came out of the tomb alive forever. And what we are told is that his resurrection is the first fruits and his resurrection guarantees that you will have a resurrection There's a reason why Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. Because it's the only one that's got real answers. It's important for us to know that. Okay. Now, some of that wasn't in my notes. So, (laughs) anyway, I'll try to figure out where I'm at. Oh, here we go. Uh, There is, okay, you have the Great Commission. But there is a second assignment of the church, to the church that an awful lot of the church doesn't know about. And perhaps some of you sitting here won't know about it. But I want to I bring that to light this morning. And it's called Operation Footstool, Operation Footstool. An operation footstool is given to the church, and I'll show you the outline of it in just a second, okay? It starts out, though, if we go to Psalms, chapter 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We have that, and actually, that was a very well-known metaphor in the ancient world. We find it on wall reliefs all over the Middle East. We find it uh, uh, pretty much uh, in in drawings and carvings. And it was just well known. You know, it's been lost to us today. But uh, I'll show you one of the wall reliefs just so you can see it. Okay, you have the king. He's the one with the bow. And uh, he's in much larger depiction. And all those underneath him, you know, are his enemies. Now, they've become slaves. You see, in ancient warfare, the object was not just to kill your enemy. They had a much more important object. The object wasn't really to kill your enemy, although in any battle, people died. We understand that. But the object was was to capture your enemy and to turn him into your slave. Because labor was the most valuable thing there was. They didn't have machines like we have today. Labor was so key. And you would enslave your enemy and he would work your fields and build your cities. He he would do the carrying and serve you and... He would become a footstool for your feet. For your feet. Now... I want to go ahead, I'll just track real quickly with you the other footstool foot, stool that passages, and we'll track them quickly. Here we go. Matthew chapter twenty two forty three, 43. And he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put... Your enemies under your feet. Uh, The the next one, Corinthians 15, 25, and he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. And then the Hebrews passage, Hebrews ten twelve. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. To be made his footstool. Jesus rose from the dead. He walked on the earth for 40 days. He ascended to heaven, and he sat down at God's right hand, and there he sits today. Right hand means the place of power and authority. Um, you know, just like we use, we use that in kind of my right-hand man, we kind of use it today. Jesus sits there, and he is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now, we got to ask, okay, how does that happen? How does that take place? How does it work? <laughs> if Jesus is sitting, how does it work? Okay, you got to go over to Ephesians chapter 1. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. So many powerful things here. We're going to pick it up at verse 15, okay? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people... I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. How's your eyesight? How are the eyes of your heart? Because that's what we want to see enlightened this morning, okay? That you'll come away and go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Let's keep going. Ephesians 119. And his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength. Here you go. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. You got resurrection power in you. Look at your neighbor and say, you got resurrection power in you. Yeah, then also, also, yeah, point to yourself. I got res- resurrection power in me. Yeah, yeah. You got to understand, okay? You got to understand. I mean, we walk around. There, there's a reason why people sometimes pick you out, because you got light all over you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right, let's keep going. Far above, okay, now far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is in that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Jesus Christ is lifted above all things, not only in this age, but also the age that is. To, is to come. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But understand, right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. Okay? Now, here's the question, okay? Jesus is the head. You, we, are his body, okay? This means yes, (laughs) okay? Yes, yeah, all right? Now, here's where it turns. Are the feet part of the head or part of the body? It's it's not rocket science, folks. (laughs) Part of the body, part of the body. Are you understanding this? It, it is so key. Jesus' enemies are being brought under at submission under his feet and his feet are part of the body and the body is us. You are being used to bring the enemies of Jesus under his feet. Now, I, I, what I want to do is support this. I'm going to go historically a little bit with you and, and just you know, outline a few things that I think will help make this clear. You know, the Civil War in America ended in 1865, or some call it the not-so-civil war, and I understand that. The Civil War ended in 1865. That's 157 years ago, okay? 157 years ago. Before the Civil War in 1857, okay, just before the Civil War, a, escape, a slave escaped from the South. He ended up in Minnesota. His name was Dred Scott. And uh, when Dred Scott was captured, uh, there were supporters of his who helped him, and he filed a lawsuit that, would, that he sued for his freedom. That case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled, no. He could not be given his freedom because he was property and not a human being. Whoa. Does that make our heart sad? It makes my heart sad. And yet 157 years later, Slavery is not legal in America, as you know. Actually, slavery has been abolished in so many countries throughout the world, and no one wants to bring it back. No one. For 7,000 years, slavery was everywhere in the world. The Roman Empire, the you know, just about the First century, the Roman Empire, it was one-third slaves in the Roman Empire. After our civil war, 157 years later, slavery is being abolished from planet Earth. You say, what's that? That's Operation Footstool. That's the enemies of Jesus being brought under his feet. I have... I've traveled to five of the seven continents that make up our globe. Uh, I have lived in four different countries. Um, I've been to an awful lot of the large cities in the world. Fascinating if you look at all, because if you go to the hospitals in all the large cities of the world, guess what they're named? The large hospitals in all the cities of the world, the the hospitals are named St. Mary, St. Luke, St. Peter, St. John, St. Andrew, or St. somebody. (laughs) Because the hospital, the modern hospital movement was started by Christian missionaries. Because missionaries loved and they cared and they had to do something about sick people. And so they started the modern hospital movement. say, what's that? That's Operation Footstool. Sickness is an enemy of Jesus. It's being brought under his feet, and we're helping with the whole thing. How many of you know the church's, the house's mission statement? Raise your hand if you do, if you know it. That's not near enough of you. It's on the front doors, folks. (laughs) Okay, here it is, all right. Change the world, start at home. Change the world. Start at home. This thing called Operation Footstool. It is brought on by the church. It is brought on because the church just cannot let evil roam without doing something about it. Do you understand the power that's released when the church acts like the church? One of the amazing stories stories to come out of World War II involved a Bulgarian church leader named Metropolitan Kirill. When the Nazis rounded up all the Jews of his city and herded them into a barbed wire enclosure, he decided to act. The trains that were supposed to take the Jews to Nazi death camp in Auschwitz pulled into the station. The SS guards were about ready to load the boxcars that would take them to the gas chambers. And that's when Metropolitan Kirill decided to act. He suddenly appeared out of nowhere, out of the darkness. He was a big man to start with, but he wore a two-foot-high meter on his head, which made him look like a giant following Kirill on what were the people of his church and many of the people from the city and they surrounded the compound and Metropolitan Kirill went up to the gate of the enclosure and the Nazis were guarding it with their rifles and he just looked at them and he laughed and he shoved aside their rifles and he went in among the Jewish people and the Jewish people, they screamed a hysterical scream And Kirill raised his hand and he quoted one verse of scripture and with that verse he contributed significantly to the changing of the destiny of a nation. Quoting from the book of Ruth, he declared to his Jewish friends, Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And the Jews cheered. The Christians joined in the cheering. They were no longer separate people, but they had become one Under the declaration of a word of God. And because the church took a stand. The trains pulled out of the station empty that night. And not a single Bulgarian Jew ever died in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. When a man is willing to lay down his life to oppose injustice and opposition. Amazing, powerful and even miraculous things happen. Let me show you what is a verse of, I I call it my war cry verse, and I'm hoping you'll adopt it also. I'll show it to you. Romans chapter 21, verse 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good is more powerful than evil. Make no mistake about it. But good must be practiced. You've got to set good in motion. But if we will, Whoa! <laughs> Wonderful things happened. A young pastor a saw a young pastor in a small Presbyterian church in a small community in Wisconsin. It was his first pastorate, and a young woman came to the church and she asked if uh, her ba- baby could be baptized. The child had been born out of wedlock, and in that small community, the new young mother found herself shunned. On the day of the baptism, the woman stood before the congregation holding her baby alone. The pastor didn't realize the awkwardness of the situation, and he he was nervous, and he just started into the service, and then he came to that part where he said, and who now stands with this child to assure that the commitments and the promises herewith made will be carried out, and who will... Assure that this child be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And he lifted his head and then he realized there was no father standing there. There was no godfather. There was no godmother. There was no grandparents to answer the question. And there was a long pause, but then, almost as if on cue, the whole church jumped to their feet and shouted, We will! When the church is really the church the church is unstoppable my friends. <laughs> uh when I think about Operation Footstool I I think of a good friend of mine. Um his name is Chris. 3 years ago Chris with his wife along with his wife Becky, they had raised two kids successfully and they were out on their own now and they had a large house but they didn't want to they didn't want to move and they had Three empty bedrooms and and so they signed up for foster care training, uh, and they became a licensed foster care home. They thought, well, we'll take a baby here or there and a child here or there and kind of help them, and they'll be okay and it'll work out and uh, And they had a couple of children pass through their home, and then they received a call, Will you take four young children? And uh, Chris and Becky. They said yes. And, uh, and they cared for those children like they were their own and loved them dearly and, and actually continued to keep contact with them now. But after nine months, they were successfully restored to their original home. Then came a call We have two young teenagers who lost both parents, one by an accident and the other by suicide. Would you take them? And Chris and Becky said yes. And when the boy and girl came into their home, they then learned that these two had a younger sister who was, she had cerebral palsy. Her mind was fully functional, but her bodily functions, of course, were really restrained and she could communicate some and, but, but lots of limits. And Chris and Becky went before God. They said, should we bring this girl into our home? To do so meant a ton of sacrifices. They had to build a handicap wrap per wheelchair to get into the house. Uh, they had to install a lift. lift. They, they had to put handicap fittings or handles in all the bathrooms. And, and uh, they both worked full time. One of them would have to quit their job to make this possible. Chris and Becky did it all. And this beautiful young girl was united with her brother and sister for the first time in her life. And because of their love, before law, or because of their love, Chris and Becky have started adoption proceedings. (laughs) Which will make these three children a part of a real family for the first time in their lives. You say, what's that? That's Operation Footstool. That's the enemies of Jesus being placed under his feet. This is so key. This is so key. If the church starts being the church, we change the world, folks. Think about what happened. One-third of the planet picks this up. What happens? The world changes. Change the world, start at home. That's the command on your life. But it doesn't say, stay at home. <laughs> right? Dave Howard was in the, his wife, they were in the first service. and Well, Dave took the offering today. Uh, um, so you know I'm Pastor Elder Dave. Well, Pastor Elder Dave, you know, and many of you know, he's been doing mission trips for years now, okay? So I, I was going to say, and, and Dave has, under his ministry and through the mission teams that have gone around the world, you know, several places in the world. I, I was going to say in the first service, uh, and, and they have won thousands to the Lord. To, you know, thousands have come to faith in the Lord through their mission and through their trips. And And I said, Dave, how many is it? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> 3 million folks. 3 million. They have a team that team that leaves for Brazil this week. And uh yeah, and they'll they'll see oh, so many come to the Lord and and they've thousands upon thousands have been healed through their ministry. And I, and I I challenge you right now as you're sitting here, you know, hey, it, 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 you know it just—it doesn't take that long, you know. It's a, most of them are like eight-day trips, but they, you know, you need to—you need to think about going. There's nothing that will change your life like a mission trip, and especially with Dave Howard, because, you'll see miracles take place through your hands, and you'll see the Lord powerfully work, and you will no longer be a a Christian who just starts at home. You're going to have to go to the world, but that's what God's plan is for the house church, folks. Come on. <laughs> That's what God's plan is for us. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Okay, we're going to land this plane. (laughs) If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and, yeah, bowing your head. I, I invite you to use your chair as an altar. And, and I, I just, I, I want to do, I'm going to do two invitations this morning. One one is just, if you're here, you know, and you've never for sure made Jesus Christ Lord, King, and Lord of your life, Savior, King, and Lord of your life. If you've never done that personally, um, I'm going to invite you to that right now. I I, I I was raised in the church, and I moved to California, and there I walked in a church, and it was a church that believed in a born-again experience, and... and uh it wasn't, I wasn't there very long before I realized I had never been born again. Not, not that I wouldn't have if I'd have known about it, but I didn't know about it. And when I heard it, I, you know, the, the verse is Revelation 3.20, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in and eat with him and him with me. And, you know, table fellowship was the most intimate fellowship you could have in the ancient world. And Jesus says, I want to come into your life. I want to be a part of your life. I want to forgive all your sins. I want to give you the gift of eternal life, of living with me forever. I, that's the offer. And if you've never for sure closed that circuit, if you've never for sure said, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, my King, my Savior. If you've never done that, I'll, you know, or maybe this is your condition. You're coming back to the Lord. You, you, you've drifted off and you're coming back. And this morning, you know, you can hear the knock. If while I'm talking, it it feels like or sounds like you can hear the knock, would you just lift your hand up and let me know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I just ask and invite you to pray it softly with me while I pray it out loud. It goes like this, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came and you lived a perfect life and and you went to a cross and you died there. To forgive all my sins, I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that. And now, and then, you rose from the dead, and you did so that you might give eternal life, the gift of eternal life, to all of us, to all who would believe. And we, if, if this is for you right now, if you're believing, you say, "For Jesus, I'm believing." If you're affirming your faith, you say, "Jesus, I affirm my faith in you." I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, all my strength. If you pray that prayer, Jesus came into your life right now. He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you. Oh, what a marvelous Savior! What a marvelous Savior. But there's one more thing I just want to speak to you about this morning, and that is, you know, I think I, in the Operation Footstool that it may be a new concept to num- a number of you that you've, you've, never, you've heard the Great Commission, but you've, you've never heard the operation of how Jesus is putting all of his enemies under his feet. And he has called us, the church, to be a part of that. And, and this morning, I want to pray an anointing upon anyone who says, hey, you know what? I'm, I want to take hold of that. What you talked about this morning, Pastor Donald, I want to take hold of it with my heart, with my life. I want, I want to make a difference. And, and if that's you, I want to pray for you today. Would you stand to your feet just for your head? at? Just stand up. It's I, Not for everybody. In you know, various places, but if you're saying, hey, you know what? You know, I wanna I wanna impact my world. I want to make a difference. I wanna Yeah. I, I want the Lord working through me in powerful, and significant ways. I'm determined that I'm gonna I'm gonna do the good that overcomes evil. Anybody else to join? Yeah, thank you. All right. Father in heaven, I bring these before you. They have stood up because they have heard your call. And their desire, the deep desire in their heart is that they might become part of Operation Footstool of putting your enemies under their feet. And they are determined by your help and through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk around this world and do good and make a difference wherever they go. And they... Indeed, want your light to shine through them, and I now, right now, I anoint them with power and light and joy of the Holy Spirit, that they may walk around the earth and make a difference wherever they go. And while they start at home, they're also saying, I don't have to stay at home. I can, I can go and change the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And now I'm gonna ask the rest of you to stand because Pastor Jamie, when he does this, when he closes service, he does it in his prayer, okay? But I like to do the blessing (laughs) straight in your face. And and the scripture says when we do this that you will receive something, okay? So I believe I am transferring something to you in this process, all right? (laughs) And the words are, when the sons of Levi and Levi stand to bless my people, they are to say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance, his presence upon you and give you his shalom, his peace, in your leisure and your labor, your coming and your going, today and all week long. In Jesus' name, I declare it. Hallelujah!